Please have that passage open in front of you in Job chapter 9. And that question, how can a man be righteous before God? You know, life is full of questions. And there are many who like to ask questions, but who can't necessarily give us answers. And sometimes, maybe in our own experience, we we ask questions in a way that tries to get the responses that we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. And, you know, you can look in so many different places and there are debate shows and question time and celebrity interviews and chat shows and podcasts and social media videos, all sorts of things, lots of questions, lots of opinions, and sometimes on the most trivial of matters. But then there are more serious questions. And, for example, in a court of law, you have questioning of witnesses trying to establish the truth and consequent verdicts. Or you have doctors who, you know, try and ask the right questions to diagnose the illness or the problem. And so to try and then give the right help needed and the answers there, you know, they carry a greater weight because there are consequences to them. But even in our own life, you know, there are big questions which all of us face. Questions of life, of death, of eternity. And in all the noise of opinion, you know, we need to think, well, what are the questions that we need to ask that get us to the heart of what life actually is here? You know, and what about the life to come? You know, to see what is important now and what is maybe not as important in our lives right now. And, you know, friends, I don't know about you, but, you know, life at times can be just hard. And, you know, sometimes we can find things confusing. We can feel overwhelmed. And certainly when there seems to be so many voices, it can cause our, our minds to spin and be spun. But the world is in a mess. You know, it's in turmoil. And whether we look at, at finances or politics or international relations or strikes, the world seems to pose more questions to us than answers. And we can feel lost in it all. And so where do we look? Where do we look for help? Where do we look for answers? Well, you know, maybe a lot of people look to Google. You know, if you don't know an answer, Google. And I was looking into some of the, the stats. Three and a half billion Google searches every day. 40,000 Google searches every second. Google dominates over 90% of the search engine market. It's been visited over 60 billion times so far this year. And such is the, the role of Google. I think I've said this before. You know, in our day-to-day -day lives, that even the, the dictionary has recognized Google as a verb. And some of the most searched for questions and, and things in Google begin with the word why. You know, and there are times in our lives when we, we want to know why certain things are happening, why they're happening to us, or maybe to our families, or, or why things are happening in the world at large. You know, we want to try and make sense of life. You know, where is the meaning? Where is the, the purpose? What about life after death? And here we are tonight, and we have these moments to stop and really think, what is it that really matters in life? What is it that really counts? What should come first in our lives? How do I make sense of what is happening all around? You know, and as I come in a, a very personal way, and you've come this night with all our, our circumstances and maybe burdens, you know, where do we start? 
How do I understand myself? How do I understand this, this world with all of its problems and, and difficulties and trials? Where do I look? Where are the answers? Well, friend, into all of that, the truth of the Bible actually brings great clarity. And whilst not belittling or undervaluing the complexities of life, what it says to us is this. It brings us to the issue of greatest importance for each and every one of us. It brings us, as, as one has said, to the, the ultimate questions. You know, there are some who say, well, you know, churches, they, they should speak out on all manner of issues, uh, you know, politics and poverty and social conditions. And those issues are important. Of course they are. But if we focus only on those things, we miss the mandate that is given to us by the head of the church, the Lord Jesus in his word. Of course, we, we need to have a heart for those all around us. We need to be concerned for what is taking place. We need to have a, a discernment in this life. But we cannot understand those issues unless the key question is asked. You see, it's easy to get bound up in the trouble and the brokenness. But, you know, it's easy to get bound up in the symptoms of the trouble, but never really address the cause of the trouble and the brokenness. And the proclamation of the gospel in the, the power and unction of the Holy Spirit, it's so much needed in this sin-sick world. You know, that there is hope. You know, that there is a way, that there is an answer, that there is a savior. That there is one who gives us perspective in the midst of, of this, this mess of this world. And you know, there are many people out there trying to address you know, different problems that arise in life and, and they are doing much good and we, we applaud that, we respect that. But they can only deal with the outworkings of a deeper problem. And so you have all the, the programs and the initiatives and the activities to try and patch up the brokenness, but they can never get to the real issue and the issue of the heart. But the Bible, the Word of God, speaks with authority to the true trouble that engulfs each and every one of us. The fundamental problem that, that ruins us and ruins this world and threatens to ruin us forever. That we are sinners. That our relationship with God is broken and everything else flows from that. You know, and so, so where do we begin? Well, I would suggest to you that our text gives us one of those vital questions that we all need to face and to answer. How can a man be righteous before God? How can we stand before God? You know, this is asked at the very beginning of history and its importance hasn't changed. You know, we can be really quick to dismiss what has gone before. You know, so often we, we feel people with the attitude, you know, they think there's nothing like the here and now. You know, that, that there's never been a world like, like this one in which we live, that, that people have never been like they are today. And so, so everything is new and separate and unique. And so we've got to find new answers to new problems. It's just not true. You know, our brother's been taking us through Ecclesiastes and says there, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And so the fundamental issue that we all face tonight is the same one that has spanned the ages since the fall. You know, as one says, the ultimate questions are about God, our relationship to him. Nothing compares, nothing is more important than that. And the Bible says that we can only ever really know purpose and satisfaction and understand the big issues of life by knowing God. And we can only know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So this 
question that Job asks all those centuries ago, has it? How can a person really present themselves to God? You know, how can they be accepted with a holy God? How could a person speak to God and live for God and know God and have fellowship with God? And I would say to you that whatever else is going on in your life right now, you know, whatever else is happening, I urge you for this time to just lay those things down and consider this matter, this matter of utmost seriousness. Now, there'll be some, no doubt, who would you know, instantly object. And they would say, you know, well, you're being ridiculous. You know, to say that, that this is the most important question, you're, they would say straight away, it's ridiculous to say that. They'd say, you know, you're out of touch. You know, this, this whole matter is irrelevant when you consider all that's going on in the world, all the, the conflicts and the threats and the trouble. You know, what a ridiculous thing to say that the most important thing is to consider man and his individual relationship to God. It's too small. You know, you, you've got a, a wrong perspective. It's too insignificant. There'd be some who object like that. Others might say, well, you know, your question is wrong because it's, it's too selfish. You know, surely it's more important to heal the broken relationships between people down here rather than man's relationship to God. In other words, what we need is, is reconciliation between people and societies and nations. And so more time should be given to, you know, doing something to change things, to make people better, to make the world a better place, not just a man and his soul. The problem, they say, is, is not people in their relationship to God, but between each other. And so what a waste of time to be concerned for our own souls when we should be pursuing better relationships. And the argument is, you don't need God for that. We can do it without him. Others might say, well, it's ridiculous because that question is too primitive for our day. You know, we, we've moved on in this day and age. You know, times they are a-changing, and we've, we've moved on from all this, and that's what they say, all talk of God and, and your soul. It's all a thing of the past. You know, we're, we're advanced. We've gone on from that. And so it's laughable to say that this is where our emphasis should be. Well, there's strong objections. But the Scriptures say, regardless of man's objections or opinions, this is the only question that all of us face. And we cannot avoid it. You know, here is something that we will all face, that we all, even this very night, need to know how we will answer it. You know, as individuals, we're brought into this world. We don't have any choice about where or when. But we find ourselves here, and life goes on, and time continues, and we pass through this world, and we have no control over when that time will come to an end. You know, we like to think we do, but we don't. And the Bible says that our times are in the hand of God. And whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, the day will come when we will leave this world for another. And eternity is ahead and we will face a holy God. And when we see that, suddenly we see how important it is to be able to answer Job's question. You know, how am I going to face God? How am I going to stand before him? What is my relationship to him? You know, if you read through the Old Testament, the Psalms are full of these great truths. The psalmist writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and they write so powerfully. And some of them say, you know, they talk about trying to, to run away from God. 
to try and hide from him and escape from him. But what do they find? God is inescapable. You know, we can try and run from the truth of God's word. We can try and run from God himself to the heights, to the depths, to the east, the west, the north, the south. Wherever you go, you will come back eventually to that point where there is God and there is yourself. And the Bible says we can't avoid it. We all have to face it. And this question is so important because we never know when we'll have to face it. There's an urgency about this. Now, I hope that you understand that. This world, our lives, full of uncertainties. You know, we see the, the big problems in the world and we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, good or bad. But it is certain that we'll all face God. We don't know when, but sooner or later it will happen. And so how are we going to face it? Some people say, oh, well, you know, all that religious stuff, I'll, I'll think about that another time. I'll, I'll put it off. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look at it maybe when I'm older. But then that day never comes. How tragically and quickly life can be gone. Joy one moment, tears the next. How quickly death can come and our life in this world is over. And the Bible says, you know, what is your life? It is a vapor. Life is uncertain. And surely for all of these things, we need to face this whole matter of where we are with the Lord. You know, there's a, a great hymn by William Gadsby. It says this, pause my soul and ask the question, art thou ready to meet God? Am I made a real Christian washed in the Redeemer's blood? Have I union to the church's living head? And then he gives these, these wonderful contrasts. He says, if my hope on Christ is stayed, let him come when he thinks best. O oh, my soul, be not dismayed. Lean upon his loving breast. He will cheer thee with the smilings of his face. In other words, if we're in Christ, we don't need to fear the future. But... If still a total stranger to his precious name and blood, thou art on the brink of danger. Canst thou face a holy God? Think and tremble. Death is now upon the road. There's a seriousness to this. And this question is so important, not because we all face it and we don't know when, but because our soul, our eternity, rests upon our answer to it. You know, if only I could make you see that. You know, that this is the, the greatest thing to consider. And even in this present world, so much hinges upon it. You know, life is unsettled, trouble all around. Even in our lives, we're often beset by troubles. How are we going to face those things? You know, where is the strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? Because I can tell you, it's not in us. You know, where can we find our way through? And the Bible says, and the testimony of the Lord's people through the ages, it is the person who can answer Job's question that has the greatest help in this world of tears with all of its various ebbs and flows of life. You know, let me give you the example of Paul from the New Testament. You know, he went some, through some awful things, surrounded by troubles and trials and opposition, and yet what is he able to say? This light affliction which is but for a moment works for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. You know, how can he say that? Where does his hope come from? Well, he knows God. He knows that he's right with God. He knows that he's safe because he's right with God in Christ. 
You know, think of what he says in the midst of trouble. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, what we sung together, I know whom I believe. And here is a man thrust into the world, a world that is so much against him. And yet in the midst of all of these things, he is able to know that strength and that peace and that help which comes from outside of him. You know, someone holds him and sustains him, even the Lord. I wonder if you know that in your life. If you have a hope like that, because I'll tell you this, nothing in the world can give you that. It is unique. You know, how can you face all that life throws at you? How can you deal with son loss, all the other trials? Life without God is broken. And people try as they do to paper over the glaring cracks, but the problems eventually break. And whilst you're in this life and in this world, the real way to live is to answer this question of Job. And if the Bible is true, this is the fact man's whole and eternal destiny is determined by the answer, how shall a man be righteous before God? I have to face him. I shall be judged by him. The whole of my everlasting destiny depends upon my position before God. And he will either say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, or if I fail, I will be confronted by that statement, depart from me. So how will you answer? Where will you be? Where is your hope in life and death? How will it be when in a moment you're taken into his presence and when you're there and face God, what are you going to rely on? What will you say? You know, what will you say when he asks you what you have done? How will you justify your position before a holy God? And again, I say out a great concern for you. I hope you are not clinging to the wrong answers that so many do. Well, yeah, I've done my best. You know, I've lived a good life, and so God will have to accept me. You know, I've not done anybody any harm. You know, I, I, I've got my own standard, which I've tried to live to, and I'm not as bad as those others. You know, and maybe I've been religious, and maybe I've done this or done that, and so God must accept me. They think it's enough. It's wrong. It's a futile way of thinking, and it breaks my heart when people are looking to those things. Because even in our passage, you know, Job undoes those type of delusions. Look, if you will, at verse 20, a bit further down. He says, though I were righteous. He says, my own mouth would condemn me. You know, if, though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. You know, does not our own conscience condemn us? You know, when we, we try and protest and maybe we, we stack our arguments, is there not a voice within that, that shakes us? You know, we know our own hearts. We know the reality of them. We know that our conscience condemns us and tells us. And, you know, we can try and push that down and, and silence it, but it's always there. And no person can finally satisfy themselves. And, you know, they can never satisfy God. And when a person is brought to be totally honest with themselves, they know how far they fall short of God's perfect standard. You know, it's one thing to be brash in argument, to try and shrug it off. But when a person is left to themselves, when a, a person considers themselves and examines themselves in the light of the word of God, they know what they are. And our own mouths condemn us if we try to claim in the presence of God 
that were perfect. And Job reveals to us another infinitely more important problem. Look at verse 32. For he is not a man as I am, that I may answer him. You know, and that's where the whole tragic failure of this position becomes so clear. It's not just a question of trying to be a little bit better than somebody else to get in. God's standard is not just, well, I'll do a bit of good. I'll, I'll, I'll try to be generous. I'll try to do this or that. The standard of God is total perfection. The eternal standard. And the problem that we face is, how do we dwell with such a God? How do we even approach him or speak with him? And that is our, and it was Job's problem. You know, where is he? Job 23 and verse 3 says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. You know, I can't come to him. He dwells in infinite majesty and dominion and power. And in addition to the glory and might and power and majesty of God, there is the holiness of God. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message which we have heard, heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And the Bible says there can be no harmony between light and darkness, no compromise between true and false. There's no middle way. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire, that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so much of the trouble is that our whole idea and understanding of God and who he is is inadequate in the light of the word. We forget the character of God and the nature of God. And if we have but some measure of appreciation of who he is, oh, then we will be still. We will be still before him. The shattering purity and holiness of God. And look at what Job says in uh, in our passage, chapter 9 and verse 30. He says, if I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, you know, it's not good enough. Even if I spend the rest of my life trying to purge myself and purify myself and rid myself of any blemish, I'll fail. You know, if I did all I could to make myself clean in God's sight, I would fail. And there are many today in all manner of different guises who are trying to do that. And they'll fail. God sees our actions. He sees our thoughts. He sees our imaginations. He knows those desires which we suppress and other see. He sees us to the very depths of our being. It's not just our actions. It's our nature. Our sinful condition. And so how do we stand? Is there any hope? How can a person be righteous before God? They're not going to do it themselves. But the glory answer of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has provided a way. Jesus Christ is the answer to this question. How shall a man be righteous before God when God's searching gaze exposes me? How can I stand? What hope is there? You know, verse 33, what does Job say? Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. You know, he's saying, is there not somebody who can bridge the gulf? Isn't there somebody who can remove the barriers and draw us together? Oh, that there could be something to cover me and enable me to stand clean before God, that he would see nothing but perfection. Well, it's wonderful because God himself has provided the answer. He sent his own son into this world, Jesus of Nazareth, 
And he came because sinners like us were lost and ruined and would never be able to justify themselves in the presence of God. And so he came to do something which would justify and taking upon himself our guilt and our failure and our sin. He has entered into our difficulty. He has identified himself with us. You know, this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 21 becomes more and more precious and significant. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Do we understand that? The great cost that Jesus has taken upon himself the sin of his people and God has dealt with our sin in him at the cross. You know, you think of that amazing truth that that John brings out in his first letter that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins for those who believe. You know, we use words like that. What does it mean? Well, it means that in Christ, Christ turns away the anger of God. You know, I've mentioned the illustration before, but one preacher compares that anger of God like a, a waterfall crashing down over our heads. And if we die without Jesus as our Savior, that waterfall of divine wrath falls upon us and carries us down to an eternity of of terrible, endless judgment. And it's what we deserve. You know, we are rebels against God. We are at enmity against him. The Bible says there is none righteous. We can't stand. But Jesus is the propitiation. And he stands in the gap. He's the mediator. He deflects, he diverts, he deals with this terrible waterfall of eternal wrath that we deserve. And the Lord Jesus, in his great love for sinners like you and me, for his people, came and shed his blood, taking the place that we should have had. And he, as God's appointed mediator, the mediator that Job was looking for, stood between God and his people. And gave himself a substitution, propitiation to bear away the sin of all who would trust him. Jesus, our Savior, gave himself to deal with our sin. And he did it, that once for all sacrifice. It's a glorious thing to know tonight your sin, past, present, future, forgiven in the Lord Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. But there's another part, isn't there? You know it, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, before I can stand before a holy God, I must be pure as God is pure. I must have a nature like his. I I must be delivered from my sin and the guilt of sin and all that is true of sin. And Jesus is the answer. And he not only deals with my sin, but he gives me his righteousness. And you know, it's so beautiful because he even promises to take me by the hand and to present me faultless before the presence of the glory of God with exceeding joy. And you'll do that for each one of you who believe, to take you and present you and to say, this one is mine. In my righteousness, one of my own, that I purchased with my own blood. How can a man be righteous before God? How can he be just? Paul says, the just shall live by faith. The righteousness of God in Christ given to every believer. And this is the way that God has provided. And you know, it is so glorious 
You can set aside all those efforts to try and earn favor with God and to do all those things. Set all that aside and trust the Lord Jesus. And to know that in him you are accepted, that you are right, that you will stand on that great and awful day, not because you're looking to yourself, but because you're looking to him. The finished work of Jesus Christ. And you know, we don't value the Lord Jesus until we know him for ourselves. Until we know him in that real way. And I long so much that all of you here could know in your own heart and be convinced that Jesus Christ is not only a saviour or the saviour, but he's your saviour. That you will be trusting him. And when we're converted, we come to see one thing is more important than all the world. And that is the blessed Jesus, the Savior of our souls. He is the one who transforms our lives and gives us hope to live and hope in death and hope for time and hope for eternity. He is the answer to the ultimate questions that we face. And in all the other things along the way, he promises to be with us and to lead us through and to sustain us, and to give us the grace that we need. And you know, if people will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the consequences are devastating. There is no salvation outside of him, no salvation except through him. So let me ask you, how can a man be righteous before God? There's only one answer to that question, that's the Lord Jesus. But let me ask you this, are you right with God? Are you trusting Jesus? Are you trusting his life, his death, his resurrection? And if not, do you realize the danger that you are in if you leave this place tonight and suddenly death is upon the road? There is no second chance. The opportunity is now. Now is the day of salvation. How are you going to be righteous before God if you've got to stand before him, even this night, what would you say? I know what I would say. I look to Jesus. He's my only hope. Nothing in my hands. I bring nothing. It's only him. And I know that because of him, I'll be accepted. I know that because of him, I'm secure. And everyone who believes here tonight, you can say the same. You can know that you're saved because of him, not because of you. The only answer is Jesus. It's only him. And so don't be under any illusion, delusion this night. You need Christ. How can a man be righteous before God? No other answer apart from Jesus. I pray that you will be able to sing from your heart and with understanding, when from the dust of death I rise, to claim my mansion in the skies, e'en then shall this be all my plea. Jesus hath lived, hath died for me. That's the answer. Jesus Christ and him alone. May you know him. May you trust him. And may you have that peace in your heart this night because you know that you are right, right with God, both now and forever. Amen.